Hi, I'm Paul Jay. This is the analysis.news on our show, Reality Asserts Itself. Please don't forget the donate button. Please also sign up to be on our email list and subscribe if you're on YouTube, if you're sharing from one of our podcast platforms or wherever you are watching or listening, uh, you can share it and that would be great. I'll be back in just a few seconds with Jane McAlevey, the organizer's organizer. This is a continuation of my series of interviews with Jane McAlevey, which focuses on lessons and experience that helped shape her view, worldview, and built her approach to organizing workers. And as I said, this is a great time to get organized and learn how to organize better. Jane's the author of several books, including No Shortcuts and Raising Expectations and Raising Hell, which was named the most valuable book in 2012 by The Nation magazine. Jane organizes and teaches organizing to organizers, sometimes more than 10,000 at a time. Okay, thanks for, thanks for joining me, Jane. Always a pleasure. So, so I'm, getting, I'm guessing the resistance you get from more traditional union leaders. Oh, how on earth do we have the resources for all this? And I'm guessing your answer is, well, it's the imagination and what you said in the previous uh, uh, segment it's the genius of the ordinary workers that if you actually organize that way, it's not a problem. You don't need hundreds of staff. You need to unleash this force. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why I was trying to give the analogy, like literally what Mary Cadlett brought or what I, mean, I could go through, you know, all the books in every campaign. And, and I could walk you through examples from every single campaign that I've had the pleasure of running or being involved in where the the sort of known or likely suspects in the broader community were, lo again, lovely people, well-intentioned, great activists, all that stuff, love to have a beer with them or something. But like, they didn't, ha there was no threat ability. They're not scaring anyone. And so if you're an organizer and you're trying to size up, again, first you have to be aware of the power analysis then you have to make a decision to do what I call whole worker charting. So this is, I think it's more that, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as that it takes a ton of resources. Cause again, there's unions who don't care and that's most of them. So that's a problem. You know what I mean? They don't even care about working with the community, but of the eight to 10 unions that come to my mind, the big ones at these days, there, whether it's education unions, healthcare workers unions, a lot in the service sector, there is a commitment to a broader set of issues, but they're taking a massive shortcut. And as I laid out in my book, No Shortcuts, in the section where I talk about this, you simply can't do it. But I mean, I literally quote one of my favorite mentors in that section in the book, it's chapter two, I believe, saying to me, and this is like a leftist issue, McAlevey. We do workers and contracts. We don't do faith and religion. Yet it's been seared in my brain for, I'm still fighting with them 25 years later. It's like, really? <laughs> you can make that decision if you wanna lose. You know what I mean? We cannot, I can't afford to leave one ounce of power on the table, not one ounce of power in any fight. If you're going into the fight to win, you need to look for power sources everywhere you can get it. And what's absolutely right about what you said and it's what I'm trying to illustrate with Mary Cadlett's story is that, yeah, 
tens of thousands of workers have these connections. So what we do is once the shop is strong, once we've got workers charted, leaders identified, who are the activists, who are the leaders, we've completed a couple of structure tests, what I call structure tests already. We know that we've got majority, you know, we've got the majority of workers, keyword, majority of workers moving together collectively uh, in a campaign. It's at that point as an organizer that I say we begin to systematically chart, whole worker charting, their community connections. Who are all the people they know when they leave work and punch the clock? And I have an illustration of that actually in No Shortcuts of what it looks like. There's two images in the book where I contrast a traditional corporate campaign approach, which shows a series of ways that the more progressive unions understand how to do things like brand damage and shareholder stock actions and things like that, right? And it's a wheel. And I intentionally took that image and just inverted it and put the worker in the middle instead of the corporation and then tease out, do they have a faith community? Are they part of a little league or a soccer football club or curling club? Are they part of a, um, you know, do they, are they part of a book group? Are they part of a knitting club? Do they have a faith? All these questions to prompt workers. And this is worker to worker. When we do it, the campaigns are so big, you know, I mean, uh, there's usually thousands of workers. So there's no way the staff can do it. So we say to everyone early on, Phase one is getting strong in the workplace, whether whether we're rebuilding a union in a contract fight or we're just forming a new one. Either way, you know, organizing is reorganizing all the time. So um, we say first we have to get strong in the workplace and we say as soon as you've completed one or two really solid majority structure tests, we will then move to a structure test, which is can we get a majority of the workers to interview each other and document all of their community connections? And there's more that goes with it because the opening question to get them thinking about their community connections is the following question. And again, the organizers live for the questions we ask, right? Because our job is to ask a lot of questions and then listen to what the knowledge the worker has is. So to, to get them to shift gears from thinking about wages, health insurance, uh, hours of work, vacation pay, whatever it is, and to get them to shift into thinking about all those people they know in their community, because they literally get, like our movements have siloed the workplace from the community for so long that workers sort of do it too. So when they see someone, it's like, oh, are we having a union discussion? They think that just means like hours and wages and work. So we have to shift their whole mentality. And the opening question is, if you were mayor tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do? Because by asking a worker, if they were mayor tomorrow of their town or their city, what are the first three things they would do? We're gonna get instant insights into what matters to them when they punch the clock and go home. And they start thinking about, oh, well, if I was mayor and pedagogically, like literally from a learning perspective, it helps them shift into thinking about all the connections they have in the community. So like everything we talk about, there's a theory, there's a vision, and there's a method that goes with it. Uh, traditional, I would call corporate union leaders. Uh, I know I was in a union for years and my experience and having gone to other places, they, they think of, of the workers like cows and horses that all they think about is hay and grass. And then they wonder why nobody comes to a union meeting. 
And, and then, of course, they blame the workers for nobody wanting to come to union meetings. And, and they throw up their hands and say, oh, we might as well go to Ruth Christie's and eat a steak. Um, <laughs> no, yes. I've seen the steaks, too. They're like, they're like this big. Um, and they cost 70 bucks uh, plus the wine. Um, the, the, you know, when I asked you earlier about the Kellogg, I, I actually I mentioned about the Kellogg strike. And, I, and there's a lot of excitement on the left. Oh, there's so many strikes. But your response wasn't, oh, wow, there's so many strikes. Your response was, how many are going to win? Yeah. And that's really, a, you know, a question a lot of the left never takes up in any seriousness. They just, you know, the militancy is enough in itself. If it winds up losing, oh, they'll learn from that lesson. Yeah, what are they going to learn? Don't go on strike again. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, it's like you're like nails on a chalkboard to me right now. Seriously. It's true. Makes me crazy. I mean, we're back to my favorite word, right? The favorite word is actually win, win, win. People have to see people winning, you know? So um, I couldn't disagree more with the militancy rap. It's the same crowd that believes everything is like this materialist. It's all about, you know, it's all about material need. And it's not, uh, frankly. So, you know, um, militancy is not enough. Uh, and even winning a big raise is not enough. So much of the struggle, as we know in general with the working class right now, is a struggle for dignity and a struggle for respect and a struggle to be not heard, good Lord, heard and to have things change right in their lives. So the whole worker approach is literally the equivalent of a base building bottom up approach to a worker's community through the workers themselves. And that's the huge that's the big distinction between what frankly passes for, quote, the community work, which is talked about as if it's a social disease. It always has like a capital the when I hear people talking about it. Time to do the community work. It's literally said that way. Can someone do the community work now? Like, you know, and I'm always like, guess who can do it? All those members who live in this community and who know it and who knew it before anyone else showed up here. And if you happen to be one of them living there, you already know that a lot, ton of your coworkers have a ton of connections to their own community. So, you know, as usual, the resource, as you say, is the workers themselves. They have hundreds of, I mean, there are thousands of connection points. When we were doing this in Philadelphia, we went unit by unit. Uh, of each hospital. So, and we didn't finish every hospital, but at Einstein, we began to go unit by unit. And it was this really remarkable experience where people always say to me, why would anyone tell you about like their personal connections to people in the community? You know, very skeptical about that. And I just like, why would they not speak out of line in a big open bargaining session? You know, same skepticism of the capacity of workers to actually know what matters. They're smart. That's why. So, um, I, I find it astounding. It's like if you lay out to people in order for you to win and in order for you to make the kind of changes that you want, both at work and outside of work, there's going to be a series of steps that we're going to take for you to engage with the people and the, the players that you know. Now, the key, I'd say the last part of this, which sometimes goes, no, which often gets skipped uh, or missed when people start to do it, is that you've also got to be doing sort of this power. I mean, you're doing the power structure project as you're talking to the workers, because believe me, 
I mean, if I say to a, a, a the straw Mary Cadlett or a worker, um, uh, if I ask them a question like, at election time, have you ever seen politicians show up to visit your church? That's the way we ask the question. At election time, are there some political people who might show up just to shake hands or be do something at Bible study or be at the coffee hour after services end? Um, if the answer to that is yes, that worker has just been an active part of the research project to map and understand her own power structure, right? That's that's a data point. That's serious data. And you can't get that data anywhere except by talking to the workers. There's no database that you can put into that some corporate researcher can plug into that says, tell me all the faith leaders who have, you know, connection to the political process, because you're only going to know that if you're actually talking to the worker. So, so first point is, there is literally a time, just like in the workplace, you got to ask the workers, like when the boss says, well, we staff perfectly on that shift. We don't know why you're complaining about the staffing. It's like, we don't know. You just got to turn to the workers in the bargaining session who are all from the unit that the manager just lied about and ask the workers, is that true? Were you fully staffed on X day? And the answer is no. And then they're going to explain you, you, your printed schedule shows that we were fully staffed, but the actual hands on deck that day, we were not fully staffed, right? So again, that's worker knowledge. Same with the community. Like there are a whole set of things that the workers only will be adding to the research process to understand the power structure. But there is some stuff that a you know full-time kind of researcher could be doing. They could be looking at things like congregation size, overall budget, right? So it's iterative like everything we do. There's a set of research that some people can go off full time and do. And then we like things like we can be pulling, you know, we can be pulling, um, you know, electoral contributions money. We can be looking at the PACs. There's a whole bunch of things that fill out a broader approach to what's the strategy in the broader community. Uh, but there's a ton of knowledge that comes from the workers themselves and that, and it's not going to come anywhere else. And the best best info is going to come from the workers about their community and about their workplace. Now, one of the things you said in a previous interview I thought was important, that that uh, the, the organizing is actually focused on, a, on the contract, on these issues. It extends into the community, the church, and so on. But you're not going to fight over political issues, ide ideological issues. You're not going to fight over abortion. You're going to fight over things that the workers have in common. And then in the course of that struggle, as I think your words were, people will see who, who the real enemy is. Yes, yes, although that has to be deliberative, right? Like, yeah, it has to be deliberate. So part of the whole worker stuff is to be sure that they are starting to understand and make those connections. So um, for example, if we've asked the, if we've done the work the way that we do it, which is we've asked the workers if you were mayor tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do? We're also tracking what are the issues that matter most to the workers in the workplace? What are the actual issues that they care about? Because knowing that is going to help us understand two things. One, there may be kind of thorny issues in the broader community that we have to take on. It's part of our responsibility, right? Gender, race, there's real issues. Um, the question is, how do you take it on? And part of what I'm trying to work argue about how worker organizing is it's a better approach to start moving into some of the broader issues 
that exists in the workplace, if they exist, you know, racist, sexist, whatever, we're going to take that on on the contract. But there's a set of related issues from poisoned lead drinking pipes to police shooting people to... Well, there's the other side of it. I was talking to a friend of mine who organizes in West Virginia, and she's saying, you know, maybe the one issue for most of the voters outside of workplace issues is guns. They want gun rights. Yeah. So how do you deal with that as you organize, if you're organizing amongst coworkers? I mean, truthfully, I've never been anywhere where a worker said to me, my top three issues, if I was mayor tomorrow, was to get a gun. Never, not once. Now I'm not saying it doesn't matter to people, but the point about grounding our work in a supermajority like this matters is what I was getting to. If you've done the work of asking a majority of workers what the first three things they would do as mayor are, you're going to find unifying issues that matter outside of the workplace, not necessarily divisive ones. So that's picking issues to work on as a trade union is best done when it comes from the workers themselves. Again, this is the stuff that makes me kind of crazy because in the workplace, you understand that you do a contract survey, you try and find out the top issues that matter that workers want in their contract. And then labor leaders like just, again, check their brain when they go to the community. And just like, you know, if they go to a, a weak community based organization that wants them to take a position issue on abortion choice, something, uh, you know, that that is easily divisive, that, then it gets weird. Like then you've got, you know, people disconnected from the workers in the workplace, making a decision to sign on to something that doesn't come from the base. That's where it gets problematic. If it comes from the base themselves, then they understand it. So let's say the scenario where I've got some people in the base who want to say gun rights matter. I, I mean, I, I'm absolutely positive that some workers I've worked with think gun rights matters, no question, right? However, if you've actually systematically asked a majority of workers, I don't believe it's going to come up as the top issue among a majority of workers, unless you're you know, organizing uh, cops might be the top issue, but I'm not talking about organizing cops. So, you know, if you're talking about most of the workers who are out there in this country, I don't believe that that's their top issue. I don't even believe it's the top issue of most people. I think it's crazy right-wing narrative, right? That makes us think it's a top issue. But for the workers who do think it matters, that's fine. But we're going to have charts and diagrams to show that actually 63%, I'm making this up, right? But I'm going to I'm going to get around having to deal with a gun issue by saying 60, the most unifying issue, it turns out, of all of your coworkers, 63% of you say that... Uh, you know, making the buses work on time or winning free tr public transportation or cleaning up, you know, a filthy something down the road, uh, you know, a dump that's been there for too long and it's leaking stuff in the neighborhood or fill in the blank. I'm, I'm going to work from, if I, we got to build unity, I'm going to work from, if I ask what are the three issues that you would do as mayor, we're going to look for the most unifying. And again, even if they're and then even if they are controversial, it's going to be really helpful that the issues have been identified by the workers, because then it's not some outsider or some trade union person from their headquarters or their local branch saying, we got to work on this thing. It's grounded in the experience of the workers. And that's going to make the conversation uh, a hell of a lot better than 
a coalition that we've signed on to and the union's written a check to is working on these five issues that actually no one in the no one in the workplace actually seems to care much about. That's a losing formula for how to transform first your workplace, then your society, right? We want to, we want to transform society by rebuilding a strong working class movement that has the capacity to have governing power. And that means building strike ready unions where workers can walk off the damn job and create a crisis for corporations, shareholders, and capital. And that is not gonna happen by, you know, weak unions writing checks to weak community-based organizations and weak progressive groups, which is the lazy approach or what I call the shortcut approach. Okay, we're going to do one more segment with Jane. I thought this was going to be the last one, but this one was too good. And now we got to do another one. So we're going to do one on the importance of the strike. And I just want to make one point to tease it. A lot of people say, ah, unions, they're over with. What is it, 6% or something or less in the private sector are organized. And unions are so weak. Okay, maybe all that's true. But where are they? transportation, communication, you know, they're running, you know, truck driving, you know, important strikes close the entire economy. So even if unionization might be low, it can't be more strategic. So the importance of the strike is, a, is an issue for the whole society. It's not just about, uh, oh, unions are weak. Quite the contrary. If they actually lived up to their potential, there's enormous strength there. So thanks, Jane. Yes. Can I just say one thing about that? As oh, yeah, close, please. Yeah, as your closing ahead. teaser. I mean, so this will be a this will be a teaser for the next discussion for your audience, too, not just for you. <laughs> Why this matters so much is because there's there's something called the strike for recognition in the United States. There are two ways to form a union. One is the one that people are more used to. Workers fill in a petition or fill in cards, authorization cards. As you know from everything I've said and written, I believe you have to get to 75% of them before you know you're safe enough to survive a National Labor Relations Board election, not the 30% that we've seen people. That's the law. You have to have 30%, right? The alternative way to form a union, which gets right to the strike and to logistics and the supply chain, and how strategic this is. The other way to form a union in the United States, and there are you know, examples of this. Again, I could get into the nuance of everyone's labor law from a bunch of countries, but I'll just stick to the US. The, the, the second way workers can form a union in the United States is to strike for recognition. It's called striking for recognition. You make a demand for the employer, you show them, hey, 59% of us have filled in these authorization cards. If you're me, I'm gonna say 75%. So, because most of the time the boss is gonna say no, but you make a demand for what's called legal recognition or certification of the union. You demand that the employer recognize the union. A vast majority of us have made the decision that we wanna form a union in this shop. You present that to demand, best done by a bunch of workers and your top leaders showing a majority of signatures to the boss, right? This is old school, real organizing. And the employer who's confronted by this, I've never seen one yet say yes on the spot, but you know they may come to a smart decision later because they see the evidence. That's why the 75% matters. Like, oh, a huge majority of our workers and all these key leaders that they know are their best workers want to form a union. And if the boss says no or box, 
you can organize a supermajority strike and walk off the damn job until the boss says, I'm going to recognize the union. That is a much faster way to form a union. That is a way that lets you know that your structure is strong from day one. In the training I came from, we were actually trained. We never filed for National Relations Board election. We first had workers make a recognition demand of the boss, give the boss the chance to voluntarily recognize the union. And if the boss said no, we were trained to say, and all the workers were you know, part of this discussion the whole time, we're not going to file a National Relations Board election. We're going to strike for recognition. So you better be ready to win you know, what it is that you want to win. And it's a good time to start right now. So the strike, imagine that as the approach to the Amazon factories instead of this trying to keep up with a bunch of people who are in high turnover workplaces, uh, you know, and trying to keep up with the abuses going on in the workplace. What if they walk off? Okay. Okay. This is a teaser. This is, this is a teaser. Okay. That's it. <laughs> so we're going to get into all this in the next segment. Thanks, Thanks very much, Jane. Good to and see thank you. you. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget to donate. If you don't have the money, just watch, subscribe, and share, and all the rest of it. Uh, thanks again for joining us on the analysis.news.